welcome everyone to episode 211. Jeez. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know what it should be? It should hmm. be 2,150. It um, should be. Why, yeah. why would that be? I, I can't guess. Um, <laughs> of the Metabolist 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I'm David. And uh, I guess we tipped our hand there. We're going to be talking about Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150 AD. The follow-on, the sequel to DR Who and the Daleks. Yes, yes. DR Who, featuring the lovely Louise Who and the the diminutive um, Susan Who. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, came out a year year later in 1966. Yes. By pretty much the same same team, team, Martin Sabatsky, doing the uh, script for this one again. And I think, uh, the, looking at the credits, with a little help from our friend... Um, David uh, Whitaker, Whitaker, yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. I so think the good, good bits were David Whitaker. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is Milton. Mm. Yeah, so I think, I think this was the, um, uh, the sequel that arrived after everybody had decided they weren't interested in Daleks anymore, which I think was a shame. Mm-hmm. I think it, it basically was, it was, okay, Dalek Mania, we should do another one. Um, but by the time it came out, Dalek Mania had kind of faded a little bit and I don't know, the country was doing um, some other kind of mania. Um, however, I, I much prefer this to the Doctor and the Daleks. I would agree with you. It is certainly more pacey than... Oh, wow. Yeah, it does not let <laughs> the, up. The first film. Yeah. Because they can press down, what, six episodes of television into kind of the highlights. 84 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, so not even 90 minutes, not even an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really. I mean, it just barrels along at the amazing clip, and it's hard to catch your breath in it, I think. There's no time to sit down and think, like, oh, hang on, what's going on now? Um, it, it really is. It's very propulsive. Mm-hmm. I think the direction by Gordon Fleming is hugely like literate and cool and the very first shot with the robbers in the car which you know starts out with the robbers in the car and then goes and sees sees our you know policeman hero tom campbell um and then goes back into the car again yeah i'm i'm all for that kind of filmmaking it was really that was it was really good Mm -hmm. i'm i mean we should get ahead of ourselves um bits of it were were a letdown but the beginning is great and it really it it just races along without without really giving anyone time to draw breath when was the first time you saw this was this again on bbc summers it would have been a saturday morning again and it would have been you know my parents excitedly telling me you know you should you should turn the telly on it's we know you love doctor who it's the doctor who movie and me being like whoa doctor who movie this is going to be amazing and then being incredibly disappointed um Mm -hmm. that it's you know it's um it's peter cushing again and like a bunch of other people but i mean again in the intervening years and i've you know i've obviously watched it a few more times i have grown to much prefer it to the previous one it just seemed it's certainly grimmer and i think better matches the you know the kind of often grim tone of the tv show but at the time again you know i it just wasn't what i was used to watching it just you know where was john pertwee right um you know there's some daleks but you know they're they're brightly colored Mm -hmm. that's wrong so you know all that kind of stuff um and who's this kid with the doctor (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Louis, you know, it's Louise Who and Susan Who. I've never heard of them. Where's right. Sarah Jane, the lovely right. Sarah Jane, who you right. know, I'd already kind of you know fallen in love with. So you know, but so but but I, th- I think I think as I said, it, it is a it is a better follow up. Um, it's a it's a it's a good sequel. Um, when did you first see it? I was trying to think back, and I cannot say when I've seen it. So I'm going to say I think I just watched this for the first time. Whoa. Yeah, I there was really I've, I I'm very familiar with like scenes on YouTube or oh. with uh, Dalek sixty three eighty eight okay. doing investigations on all the Daleks in the story and just okay. being a cultural reference. But I've I've seen like all the scenes, but I don't remember ever seeing them strung together. So I don't have a good memory of it. Well, so this is basically a reaction video. Basically, you've yeah, not seen this, this before. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it, I think. Oh, this is incredibly cool. In, in its cool. entirely, end to end, yeah. I, I guess I was so uh, disappointed by the first movie that I, I never followed up on this one. Well, shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> and this is really is a World War II movie with Daleks in yeah. it. Yeah. That was my take on it, pretty much. It's yeah. it's It's pretty much... Uh, a 1960s World War II uh, London Blitz and what if the Nazis invaded but the Nazis were Daleks is pretty much what the story is and I mean that's what they were going for that's what Terry Nation I think was going for on the TV version uh, in the original version but it's with the cinematography and the wide open the wide screen uh, portrayal of it it just feels very realistic uh uh, or uh, uh, very realistic for the movie language of uh, this is London during the Blitz. Yeah, I'm, I agree. I was going to joke there for a second. We see the wide open, the wide, the well-known wide open spaces, and also mountains of Bedfordshire, um, <laughs> which Bedfordshire has neither of those two things. But anyway, um, that's it, you know it plays pretty fast and loose. But who knows? I mean, maybe in a hundred and fifty, hundred years from now, um, hundred twenty-five years from now, they would have built some mountains in Bedfordshire. It's entirely possible. If the Daleks were uh, digging to the center of the earth, it's it's True. all the mine tailings. It's it's They've got to put the spoil somewhere. Yep. Yep. Right. Okay. It's that, just, that's it's the expla- mountain right there. It, it explains <laughs> itself pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. More reaction. More reaction from you. So I was looking for how they were going to work the whole David Susan story, and they worked it by not doing it at all. And <laughs> smart. They they team up. Uh, Toby, uh, Susie who, Roberta Toby with uh, Quatermass from the movie. Right. The hammer. Uh, Andrew Keir himself. Yeah, Andrew Keir, uh, Weiler, uh, Quatermass. So that was kind of a bit. <laughs> I was enjoying that odd couple. I think if I was going to do it, I would have kept Susie and Doctor Who together. And okay. I think I would have just omitted Jill Curzon entirely from the film. Louise, who doesn't do much, does she, unfortunately? No purpose. And this isn't really much of an exploitation film as compared to the first one. There's no scenes of her in true peril, you know, no bodice ripper type scenes or anything. I just sort of wondered what was Louise Who's purpose in this story at all. And I can't think of one. I would have written her out. Yeah, I mean, she's a very, very slight love interest for um, Bernard Cribbins, Tom Campbell, the policeman. Um, yeah, very slight. Virtually not. I mean, I guess, you know, and she's... I mean, Andrew oh, and uh, Leela had more sparks than... Uh, that's true. But then <laughs> Doctor Who's got four... Tom Campbell. Four of that kind of stuff. I mean, she is helpful with escaping from the Dalek spaceship. 
Uh, I was excited to see, yes, that obviously is they escape using a using a garbage chute, which obviously, you know, um, George Lucas grabbed um, for entirely yep. for Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, she's because she's helpful there a little bit. Um, she saw she's clumsily starts the food machine like you know, like a woman would, uh, and that's it basically. Yeah, poor Alusu. or Ian Chesterton in the previous movie. Yeah, she's the she's the kind of clumsy. <laughs> add-on like ian i suppose i don't know yeah yeah and tom campbell's kind of an amalgam of barbara and ian i yeah. think in in the story yeah, 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 yeah. well i was i was i'm, I'm going to jump in with a reaction but i was it was yeah. obviously um uh you're 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 a keen watcher of british genre movies and andrew Keir, obviously it's professor bernard quatermass i did I just call him quatermass and basically i've done with it yeah quatermass one of the and things who? that the, the, <laughs> yeah together a lot one of the things that actually irritated me when I was a child, and I was wrong to be irritated by it because now I love it, Bernard Cribbins, who obviously we're going to talk about a little bit because he very sadly died uh, just a few weeks ago, yep. and also Ray Brooks. Um, so Ray Brooks plays... Who does Ray Brooks play? David. David. Mm-hmm. Those voices were pretty much the kind of voice soundtrack of my childhood. So Bernard Cribbins, I really was only aware of because he was the narrator and did all the voices on the Wombles. And <laughs> as, as I'm sure you're aware of, you're aware of the Wombles, David. Yep. Underground, overground, wombling free. The Wombles of Wimbledon, common are we? Making good use of the things that we find, things that the everyday folks leave behind. The Wombles of Wimbledon Common are we, mm-hmm. which was like just the greatest TV show. It was that it was that five minute section between the end of Blue Peter and the beginning of the news. They'd always drop in like a small show, and the Wombles was one of yeah. it. And the Wombles, basically, Womble Mania was like a seventies. It was like Dalek Mania in the sixties. Womble Mania was in was in the seventies. Um, they were on top of the pops, mm-hmm. and yeah. Describe for our listener, our, our American listener, what a Womble actually is. So Wombles were. <laughs> <laughs> were from were from a, a series of books written by a woman called Elizabeth Beresford, but they were adapted to these short five minute stop motion uh, TV segments, and all the voiceover work for the Wombles was done by Bernard Cribbins. I'm the man that does all the voices for the Wombles, and I believe your favourite one is Orinoco. Yes, I'll tell you a secret. He's my favourite as well. Oh. I like him because he's always looking for something to eat and he's always looking for someone to lie down, sit down and have a little a little snooze, 40 winks. I'm glad you like Orinoco because he's my favourite as well. Do you like Uncle Bulgaria as well? Because I quite like him as well as Orinoco. And I used to love coming out of the door and making... Uncle Bulgaria come to life. Hello, you old naughty wombles, where are you? Come along. Oh, Orinoco, I want you to come over here and sweep the doorstep. It's very, very dusty, and I shall get my shoes covered in mud or something. Now, please. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, and what about Madame Cholet? Hmm? That little French lady. You know what was happening with her and Bulgaria, don't you? They used to have tea together. Yes, all by themselves in the back room. Didn't know that, did you? 
Oh, Monsieur Polteria, you are very naughty. <laughs> oh, madam, surely, please. Oh, just one sugar, please, and I will have a crumpet as well. Thank you. <laughs> I found it really quite easy to give each one a voice because the pecking order was so clear. Uncle Bulgaria, was, he was in charge of the whole borough and uh, he and Tobermory ran the whole place together. Tobermory was his sergeant major, if you wish. <laughs> and the Wombles lived on Wimbledon Common, so, you know, underground, overground, wombling free, the Wombles and Wimbledon Common are we, the, <laughs> the sound, the, 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 it starts. Um, and they pick up the things that the folks that leave behind um, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting it now. Anyway, but basically they pick up all the junk that people leave behind in, in on Wimbledon Common and they kind of reuse it in a kind of creative way. Um, there's Uncle Bulgaria, who's the old Womble. There's Madame Chalet, who's the lady Womble. Um, there's Toba Mori, who's the kind of fixing Womble. There's Orinoco, who's the kind of audience um, uh, identifying Womble. And... Um, there are probably some other Wombles as well. I'm forgetting them. But they were incredibly cool. Everybody loved them. Mike Batt did the soundtrack, um, and he kind of created the kind of pop music phenomenon that Wombles became. So basically, the people would dress up. I, 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 they weren't actual Wombles, but on top of them. I mean, just Google Wombles, um, uh, especially on YouTube. Yeah, they look kind of like anthropomorphic aardvarks or something like that. They have kind yeah. of a long snout, you know, googly eyes. They're kind of weird looking, but they're not mm. they're not like any kind of animal that you would think. They're they're wombles. They're they're wombles. Well, uh, this is the weird thing, because you say they're kind of weird looking. I don't see that at all. I just see like they're wombles. They don't <laughs> they don't look weird at all. They look like what wombles look like. Much in the way I think I'm I may have told this anecdote before, but I only relatively recently, like a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with my sister. Um and she revealed that she thought when she was a kid and actually kind of thinks this now because she barely thinks of Daleks um that Daleks eyes were the the kind of speech indicators the lights on their on their heads and that the, what we know is the Dalek eye stalk was actually their nose um <laughs> so she saw Daleks completely differently from me and actually everyone else in the world um similarly with with Wombles you, you're you're you're, lo you're looking at a Womble and going like what the hell is that I'm looking at Womble going like it's a Womble I mean deal with it um anyway so, so I mean, the Wombles, I, I can't express how huge the Wombles were in the 70s. Um, just massive when you were a kid. So let's welcome now the Wombles! don't think they ever tried to cross the Atlantic. I'm no. not sure it would have translated no. very well. But all the voices were done by Bernard Cribbins, and I can't really... Really, it was only through Russell T. Davis having Bernard Cribbins on New Who that really kind of broke my connection between Bernard Cribbins' voice and the Wombles. There's, There's the Wombles. Well, oh, there they are. They are yes. there. <laughs> oh, they're moving in. But you'd uh, <laughs> be good in Doctor Who, wouldn't well, they? Well, what a good it's idea. Very yes, a Can you mention that to Russell T. Yes. Davis? Because I'm sure he could build that in. I shall ring Russell when I get off the air. I shall ring Russell and say, what about the Wombles then? Even when he was on um, Faulty Towers um, as the restaurant inspector or whatever right, he was, right. 
I remember all I could see when I was watching that was like, that's the guy who does the voice of the Wombles. It's the Womble voice man. <laughs> anyway, so there's that. The other thing, Ray Brooks um, was the voice of Mr. Ben. Mm, and not familiar course, with him. Yeah. You've not heard of Mr. Ben until I just said Mr. Ben. And Mr. Ben was like, a, the Wombles were like the kind of, you know, people, people, you know, kind of 10, 9, 10, 11 age. Mr. Ben was for kids who were like kind of six, seven, eight age. Um, and I love Mr. Ben because obviously my name is Ben and he was called Mr. Ben. Right. And Mr. Ben, um, I don't know if you know Elmer the Patchwork Elephant, Mm-mm. which is a series of kids books. I can't remember the artist's name now. Anyway, he developed this other character called Mr. Ben um, and it was like very, very simple kind of, you know, flat animation. Right. And Mr. Ben every week or every day or every episode, and it was on a lot, in the, I think in the mornings, would go into the shop with the shopkeeper and he would choose a costume because it was a costume shop. And then he would walk through the wardrobe in the costume shop, kind of Narnia style, and he would walk into whatever the costume. So if he put on a knight's costume, he'd walk into the Middle Ages. If he put on a pirate's costume, he'd be a pirate. Blah, 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 blah. And I just loved that show. And it was all basically narr- narrated and all the voices were done by, by Ray Brooks. Number 52 is Mr. Ben's house. There was no sign of Mr. Ben. He wasn't in his room. He wasn't in his garden. And he wasn't in the park. Mr. Ben was by the river. He was looking at the boats and thinking about the adventures that they have. It's time I had another adventure, he thought. Time I paid another visit to that special costume shop. So again, when I first saw and Dalek's Invasion Earth, um, twenty one fifty AD, it's like that's that's the Mr. Ben voice man. <laughs> like I know that voice. It's Mr. Ben voice. Um, and even to this day, I like Ray Brooks. I'm like wow, it's it's Mr. I, I he was in a very and actually really good, a surprisingly good British exploitation movie from the I think late sixties called The House of Whipcord, which I saw recently for the first time. And it's you know it's a it it sounds like a sleazy exploitation movie and it kind of is but it's also actually really kind of good 1974 um, and I remember when I when I watched that and that was only like a year and a half or so I was like blimey it's Ray Brooks um, mm-hmm. what's 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 he doing in House of Whipcord um, it's the Mr Ben voice man anyway so there's another digression into. Uh, British televisual culture that makes this movie now, when I was a kid, irritating, um, but now makes it incredibly exciting and engaging to me because A, it's got Bernard Cribbins, who's a legend in it, and B, it's got Ray Brooks in it, who's also a legend. Yeah. I will finish my diatribe by saying it has <laughs> another absolute legend in it, which is um, uh, Philip Maddock. Oh, yes. Who basically st- steals the entire movie by just being the spiviest black market tier you have ever met. And he is just genius. And and every time he's on the screen, it's like, boo, hiss, it's the actual (laughs) villain. So anyway. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's a very small role for Mr. Maddock, but uh, it is a very memorable role. He knocks it out of the park. Absolutely knocks it out of the park. And I I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I kind of t- t- taken over the podcast. No, that's fine. I hope our listener has found that useful and will and will start to educate themselves about on about the Wombles. 
um, and about Mr. Ben, and also go and watch House of Whipcord. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. And, well, thank you for listening to <laughs> <laughs> the, the matter is now closed. So um, other other crossover things for Who fans that I notice is uh, the old woman actress, Eileen Way, played old mother in Unearthly Child. So the woman who set up Quatermass and Susie Who and turned him into the Daleks. Well, I guess she sent the young young woman there. Eileen Way was uh, uh, in in the first first serial and in in the movie. And of course, if you want some really deep cut obscurity, Sheila Stiefel, who plays the young old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's two basically there's two witches that live in the woods yeah, and they're evil. Um, and one of them's old, and it's the old mother. And but Sheila Stiefel was a mainstay comedian and voice artist on a show called Weekending, which I was obsessed with in the late seventies, early eighties, which was kind of a weekly satire show. Um, and they would read out. It's basically because it was you know the BBC in the late seventies and early eighties. She was the woman one, and basically everyone else was men. Um, and she was the female voice artist, and she would do Margaret Thatcher impressions and blah blah blah. Now, that marvellously funny weekending team has asked us, as a special treat for you all, to select our very own favourite moments from the first ten years of my glorious reign. Just think of it as my Christmas message. And basically, because she was the woman, they'd always read her name out last in the credits. Uh, So, yeah, so that's who she is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, how... These actors get, uh, I think there was probably more typecasting in actors in the 70s and maybe 60s and 70s that they get so firmly associated with a role that uh, it's hard to imagine them in any other role. I don't know if this is due to the limited number of television and cinema actors in the UK in the 60s and 70s or the smaller nature of the just general population or whatnot, but it does seem there's a little uh, imprinting or uh, typecasting of these actors in specific roles or with specific voices. Yeah, and, you know, Bernard Cribbins and Ray Brooks have very, very distinctive voices. Um, And when you were obsessed with, you know, moving media as I was when I was a kid, um, and I guess, I suppose I still am, because I'm doing a podcast on Doctor Who, um, <laughs> you know, those voices completely imprint in your brain, and bang, you know, that's all you can hear, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if I'd been a little bit older, it would have been really weird to see, you know, the, the, there would be a similar disconnect, saying, well, it's Peter Cushing, who's laying all those vampire films, like, why is he being Doctor Who, you know? Um, but right. of course, I'd never seen any camera movies of that at that age, so I, that wasn't a... That was, and I'd never seen. I hadn't seen Quatermass either, so I had no idea who Andrew Keir was, um, etc. Cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that Andrew Keir, especially, hadn't appeared more in Doctor Who itself. But I think he was pretty much a movie actor. And actually, that's not true. I think he was in the Avengers. Oh God, yeah, he was in a lot. He was yeah, a lot of great movies. Actually, he was in Zeppelin and like um, The Royal Hunt of the Sun, Thirty Nine Steps. Yeah, he was in a lot of cool films. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about Bernard Cribbins? Yeah, let's. let's you know, I mean, Bernard yeah. Cribbins was such a, you know, kind of a mainstay of everything. Um, for me, he was always the Wombles. I think for one, for a, mm-hmm. you know, a current, a current, you know, a, a later generation than myself, you know, he was Donna's grandfather, whatever his uncle. What is he? Father? Granddad. 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 That's it. Um, in in You Who, 
but he was, by all accounts, a really, really great person um, who everybody loved and didn't appear to have any downside whatsoever, unlike a lot of, you know, it turned out to be English TV mm-hmm. stars from his era and just was like an all-round great bloke who lived a very long and very active and very rewarding life. And um, uh, you know, obviously it's sad to see him go, but he did amazing work, which he'll always be remembered by. I, again... As I said, I didn't care for his performance in Invasion Earth when I first saw it. Watching it again with new eyes is very nuanced. You know, he knows when to do the comedy. He knows when to do the serious. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't overplay. I mean, there's a there are you know two comedy sequences, um, which he really he does pretty well actually. I think they're probably extraneous. I'm certain that you know Milton Sabotsky put them in because he thought that's what kids would like. Right. But, you know, as I said, uh, Pribbins was essentially a, co- a comedy actor. But he said, you know, he does the seriousness of Evasion Earth, of Evasion Earth very well as well. Yeah, he's brilliant in it. And my first encounter that I that I made an impression on him was as Wilfred Mott, Donna's yes. granddad. Right. And it in I think we put two. We first, I guess, first his first appearance was in uh, Voyage of the Damned, right? Yes, yes. And he, I mean, he's. I think it was newspaper seller or something, wasn't it? Like? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he wears his his beret, the you know with the his red beret of the of the paras. I mean, you know, he was in the parachute regiment in World War Two. You know, genuine kind of you know actually fought in World War Two against Nazis by jumping out of airplanes, guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a sad loss. I think a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago that uh, yeah. he passed, aged. Uh, Nin- I, think, I think it was 93, 93, yeah, 93 which is good old yeah. age, basically. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming you would have, you would have seen him in Faulty Towers, right? Yeah, but he was just uh, he was the restaurant and reviewer okay. or something, and he it, it wasn't a uh, um, standout memorable role for you. It, it wasn't a reoccurring True. role, so it was just okay. Well, he's the guest star, and I didn't uh, imprint on him that this is who Burns Cribbins is at all time. Uh, for a lot of these guest appearance roles on sitcoms it's more of a oh yeah that that he appeared or she appeared earlier on this or also on this but it's not uh not like with the voice of the wombles where you have that through repetition imprinted on you right. sort of like this is who this right. actor is so what what was it like seeing him young here in in invasion earth i oh, admired his uh, curly head of hair i think <laughs> and he he reminded me a little bit I think he reminded me closer to the Ian Chesterton, uh, William Russell character in personality and cheeriness than uh, Roy Castle did in the previous movie. Right. But by adding Louise Hu and Weiler to the story, there was less for Tom Campbell to do right. than uh, uh, Ian Chesterton or even Barbara right. in the story. So right. I felt he was kind of underutilized and probably didn't need him in this story you could imagine i could imagine this story uh this uh, this interpretation of doctor who uh, without uh, him. Uh, dalek invasions without him or louise and you would give that bit where you needed to divert the dalek bomb in the tunnel or in the uh, mine shaft to, to Weiler, Weiler or yeah. David. Yeah, to David. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's the framing device. You know, mm-hmm. he starts the movie and he finishes the movie. And, you know, he's at, he's the, like us who go, oh, wow, I've gone into the future. Which I, in some ways actually is kind of redundant because it's Doctor Who we right. know. And it actually says they're going to, you know, there's no surprise. Deliberately to, to 2150. <laughs> yeah, except this is where we're going. Oh, no, there's some Daleks there. Oops. Um, 
he, he doesn't seem to be that surprised by the size of the TARDIS, which um, is, is 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 interesting. But yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, you could have you could have you could have reallocated his part, but uh, you know, it's just great to see Bernard Cribbins like jumping about. Mm-hmm. Well, you could have had Bernard Cribbins play David yeah. or Weiler too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there was a lot of characters trying to do a lot of things. And I think you could have had a more tightly cast ensemble and given each individual more things to do rather than spread yeah, it out. Sure. But like like many war movies, World War II movies, you have a cast of thousands and they all have their little bit yeah, role. Yeah. And it's it's not about anyone yeah any one man or woman and that's again this kind of mashup of uh world war ii movie and doctor who that you're gonna yeah. get what did what did you think of the nazis what do you think of the daleks how did they how, how did you feel they disported themselves in their second big screen outing they didn't get a lot of screen time True. i think all in all i think they were a little shortchanged. the robo men were kind of uh silly i think they worked more effectively on the television version where they were more zombies uh zombies shambling it's they (laughs) you know they get suited up in their (laughs) vinyl suit and then they get the fancy uh, helmet with a transistor radio on the side and it just (laughs) (laughs) i love the bit where they opened up the doctor who says oh very advanced technology it's like a that's a transistor radio that's not advanced technology at all Mm -hmm. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was it was amusing. I think generally Peter Cushing was more wasted in this film than in the previous film too. This was <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do either really, does he? Yeah. Go back to what I was saying last time. You could have done this without Doctor Who entirely. You could have just done the mashup of Dalek Invasion of Earth without Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it would have been cool. And then Louise could have been a descendant of Doctor Who. <laughs> I don't know if you needed a... Yeah. It kind of left me wanting more, wanting more of the war movie. It would have been neat to see uh, the at the beginning of the film, the Daleks, uh, saucer fleet raising London. London, Paris, you know, wherever. Yeah. Across the world to kind of give you the idea. Uh, the whole wacky science of the magnetism and the, it, none of that made sense at all. It made even less sense than in the, the televised version. So it, it kind of left me wanting more. I wanted more uh, Bernard Crimmins. I wanted more Philip Maddock. I wanted more Andrew Kerr. I wanted more Peter Cushing. I, I even wanted more Roboto Tovey. I, I just wanted more, more, of more of it. And it was, it was, it was fast. It didn't give a lot of time to develop. And, I can see why at the time it kind of left, uh, uh, hmm, that's it. It wasn't as good as the other one because the other one kind of dragged. The first movie kind of dragged, and this one was It did kind of drag, yep, fast. and this one didn't drag. Yeah. yeah, too fast. And again, you know, 84 minutes is just a ridiculously short amount of time for a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, just another 10 minutes to bring it up to, you know, near a 90 uh, would have been good for me. I thought it was super cool. I thought the Daleks moving around London is awesome. Um, I wish they could have been like the TV show and just had a few shots of, you know, Dulles in Trafalgar Square or Westminster Bridge or, you know, doing some real London things. Um, the backdrop of the kind of ruined London scene is like like the Thames TV event. It's like all the landmarks of London <laughs> mashed together, which is kind of weird. The establishing shot of the kind of ruined um, kind of Battersea Power Station or, you know, the that's that's cool. Mm-hmm. But their London is, a, is an odd one. 
um, uh, which is weird because obviously the people watching this are people who are living in London, um, some of them. Um, it was funny to see um, Sugar Puffs so prominently advertised in a destroyed fascist ruled London um, as if that was a good um, product placement. <laughs> um, but I thought the, the Daleks were good. Um, I could have done with a villain Dalek, you know, a Dalek Supreme. Um, I think that would have been helpful. Um, uh, we didn't have a Dal uh, Yeah, we didn't have the Dalek reading off the countdown. That was sorely missed. <laughs> there was a countdown with Rels, um, but no, there was no Dalek reading it off. So that was disappointing. <laughs> Um, I love I love it when the Daleks just all fall the, the 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 when they all fall down the hole. I love that collapsing Dalek that goes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's super cool. The ending is kind of, is kind of awesome Dalek wise. Um, the effects in general though are not good in my opinion. The Dalek saucer design is brilliant. Please somebody make me a model of the Dalek saucer. I I want that in my collection of models of things. I love that design so much. It looks so fantastic. Um, the wires are sort of visible, but that's fine because we're all used to Thunderbirds. But because we're all used to Thunderbirds, the explosions were just really, really poor. You know, if you're going to have a model, if you're going to make me think about how amazing Thunderbirds is, and uh, for my, yeah, I'm, I'm sure our American listener knows about Thunderbirds, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good. You've got to, You've got to have Thunderbird level uh, explosions, um, and these weren't the kind of destruction of the Daleks' plan and the explosion of their headquarters you know, on yeah. top of a mountain in Bedfordshire at the end, not good at all. Yeah. Jerry Anderson was just laughing with mirth over those Yeah, uh, Yeah, well, explosions. Jerry Anderson had hired all the good people at that point, so I guess they didn't mm -hmm. have anyone good to work with. So I would say, this is something I hadn't noticed, the music for this Dalek outing appeared to be by Barry Gray, who was the, um, the, the, yep. the Thunderbirds music guy. Yeah, he did all the electronic music. Bill McGriff Guffey did kind of more of the orchestral bits, right. which I thought were a little ladled on a little thick there. The, I mean, the, the, the intro uh, credit music was incredibly groovy and very cool. rest of it, not yep. so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, regarding the wires on the Dalek saucer, I watched this on my phone, <laughs> and I didn't see a single wire. I was going, boy, these, that's really, really good. So I it's, guess it's literally flying through the air. It's a real thing. They must have had like, you know covercraft technology or something there. That was amazing. But no, I, I imagine if I watched it on 4K, I'd see all those wires. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I watched on my laptop and I could see the wires. And obviously, people who are watching this, you know, in the recent release on 4K are going to see the wires mm -hmm. because the wires are totally there. I think if you get something on 4K, you probably get what you deserve, which is incredible detail, which means you're going to see things like wires. So people should really, really shouldn't complain, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But as I said, they could have done a better job with the explosions. We really needed something cataclysmic at the end. Um, I think the the the... the for me, the best effects climax was, as I said, the, the Daleks being kind of sucked through walls and kind of collapsing in on themselves. Um, that was kind of that was kind of awesome. Yeah, I felt really bad for the money that went into the Daleks, and then see them see them uh, like get their lights knocked off and smacked up and stuff. Because this sort of like, well, you got one take on this. If it did not, uh, yeah. if it did not go well, these aren't, these aren't little model Daleks at all. These are the full scale models that they're, 
uh, yanking there with wires over the edge, and they're they're getting smashed up. Um, actually, in the in that final sequence, there are a few models. Um, oh, okay. I, I, like um, either Mark's Daleks or that the other kind of Dalek. Rollikins, yeah, the, yeah. Um, though all the way through, Daleks do have a bad time. Um, they get thrown down ramps, and they get hit by little tiny vans and explode. And yep. it's kind of good, and they really put the Daleks through the ringer. There's a lot of good exploding. The Daleks explode nicely. Um, when the Daleks d- destroy Wyler and Susie Who's little van, that explodes super impressively. It, they, they basically like literally exploded it. Mm-hmm. So, which, which again, I think makes the ending explosion. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to stop going on about it now. Makes the ending explosion not quite what we really want. Well, not not what I was looking for. I think they're hampered by the explosions happening, you know, story-wise, deep inside the Earth. True. And so it's just going to be smoke and whatever. Well, they do but have a—they they vaguely attempt to do a volcano with some lava going down it, but again, you know. Do they? Okay. Oh, yeah, no, if you watch it carefully, it's, it's supposed to be a volcano. But again, you know, just watch the episode of Thunderbirds where they go into a volcano. It's a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. I didn't understand. So the Daleks are trying to uh, extract the Earth's magnetic core or the core of the Earth so they can uh, pilot the Earth around as a Death Star, effectively. Of course. But I don't understand how a bomb is going to displace all that material in the Earth and allow them to do that. It reminded me of Cybermen level of thinking that I wasn't expecting out of the Daleks. Yeah. You know, I don't think the kind of plot holiness of this really bothers me that much. Hmm. I mean, I suppose, you know, we're all familiar with the idea of the uh, of Daleks hollowing out the Earth's magnetic core and placing it with an engine so they can pilot around the universe. Because um, yeah. we, we know that from, you know, the original TV show and also from the book, which, of course, I read a lot when I was a kid. So to have it kind of dramatized in a way that's kind of Junky. more brightly colored, yeah. but but less convincing, it's fine. I mean, really... I think the end, you just want to see some Daleks get, you know, get get messed up, um, which they do. And that's kind of enough, really. I mean, there's a bomb, there's a countdown, the plot is foiled, everything right. explodes. You know, it's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the movie's really got, really got enough space for Daleks to plot. Um, I said, you know, if they're given an extra 10 minutes, then I, I would have liked to see a Dalek, a Dalek Supreme, you know, cackling and rubbing its, rubbing its plungers together with anticipation of you know um and you know we, we could have seen some more dalek sadism you know or, you know again it's, it's the, you know the kind of well why do they use slave laborers mm-hmm. um i was expecting doctor to say well it's because they're daleks and they're mean mm-hmm. um it's actually because obviously they're frightened of magnetism for right. some reason um but um but yeah I um, I wonder if you would have made this movie as the actual dalek invasion rather than the aftermath you set it up the first film just pure daleks and they invade yeah. london destroying it basically get you know battle of britain but with daleks and you leave it as a cliffhanger and then you come in 50 years later or whatever with this movie yeah it would be a bit of a downer though wouldn't it i mean the first movie would be like oh all right everyone's everyone's been conquered by the daleks but you're there to watch the daleks it's the whole reason you're there to watch true. these films that's true that's true. That, no, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, obviously, I'm yeah. not Milton Sabatsky here pimping the Daleks. You, you do not have a keen eye for what works for a kid's exploitation movie. I, so, I certainly yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. You see, yeah, um, you'd have been no good in the ni- in, in Soho in the 1960s. I'm afraid. 
I'm not of its time. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, all in all, I don't know whether we've reached summing up stage now at this point. Sure. Um, Unless you have more. I don't, I, I don't have any more vaguely random bits of English TV trivia from the 1970s for you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, all in all, are highly enjoyable. Uh, you know, let down by the ending, which is great because everything explodes, but not in a way that is, satisfact- is satisfactory to me. But otherwise, yeah, I, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it really is a good watch. Doesn't drag, mm-hmm. moves forward quickly. I'd question its need to be in 4K. I think really it's only useful for you know, people like um, for people like Gavin Rymel, um, who does an excellent job, obviously, because he's a genius, a crazy, crazy genius. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's fine to watch it on your phone. I wouldn't feel bad. <laughs> well, it was fun to watch on my phone. It was fun to kind of put everything in a, in a sequential order because I had only seen them in clips and extracts and uh, critical analysis. So that was a, a fun, fun 84 minutes uh, spent. Will I be returning to it? Probably not. It, uh, I, it's, there's just not a lot of crunch there and there's uh, really not a lot of Daleks there either. You're not going to add to your 4K collection then? Mm, it would be my first, but no, I don't think I would be adding it. I, uh, more more pixels than I know what to do with there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I think a call out again to Roberta Toby for doing an, an excellent job as a child actor. She's and, she's uh, really good. Keeping actually. it real. Yeah, no, she's great. Yep. Yes, yeah, Susie Who, she's excellent. Um, she held her own with the likes of uh, Cribbins and Cushing and yeah, uh, yeah. Andrew Kerr. Absolutely. They work well together, I thought. Yeah, no, so. no, very good. Yeah, they're they're really kind of a affecting couple, almost. You know, yeah, kind of a classic sort mm-hmm. of you know older, younger, in danger, traveling couple, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I did do a little uh, cursory look around on internet sources, and I couldn't find uh, David Whitaker commenting at all on uh, this uh, movie. It would have been interesting, I think, or I would have been interested in hearing. Are reading what he had to say right. about it, and right. I don't. I don't know if Milton Sabatsky had anything to say on it. I, I'll, I think I'll follow that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a fast. I mean, did you, have you read the the latest Doctor Who magazine? Yeah, I haven't. Haven't. It's, it's all on the uh, 4K uh, release, isn't it? But they have a actually. I mean, a really interesting article about what would be the third of the Milton Sabatsky Doctor Who movies. Oh, um, the one on the chase? Uh, no, this is would, would be an adaptation of Guy N. Smith's Night of the Crabs. So it would be Doctor Who. Um, it basically was going to be a two Doctor story with John Pertwee in it, and then like a young like so he would be an old Who, and there would be a young Doctor Who, and they would fight giant evil crabs. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there's any other kind of giant crab, but anyway, uh, these these gi- macra macra, but they're evil. Um, so you know, so yeah, giant evil crabs. And again, I don't. Uh, now we're going to get more seventies British trivia. Uh, again, I don't know whether our American listener is familiar with Guy N. Smith Mm-mm. and the um, the crabs saga. Uh, they might be more familiar with James Herbert and the rats saga. But there was a whole vogue for books in the mid to late nineteen seventies where animals grew to a giant size and killed everybody. Um, and that was first really written by James Herbert, who wrote the rats. And it was basically a whole series of books about giant rats that take over London and then England and then the entire world and <laughs> kill people in horrible ways. 
a kind of ripoff of that was Guy N. Smith, and he he wrote he wrote similar series of books about giant crabs that basically rip you apart and are really horrible to you. And that was going to be the third the third Doctor Who movie. So they weren't going to do no, they Doctor weren't. Who and the Mekons. No, they were going to go. Huh. They were going to go lean straight into the nineteen seventies, go with giant crabs. Wow. I'll have to say, Doctor Who. I'm now going off on a tangent. Doctor Who magazines really picked up the last three or four issues. I've actually become a lot more excited to read it. Um, I hate myself for saying that because it's probably me coming to the end of the Chibnall era, which I really haven't enjoyed that much. But yeah, there's some really solid material about Invasion Earth, including, I mean, guy, you know, um, Gav Rymel's an- analysis of the sets is absolutely extraordinary. I think. Yeah. yeah, he's a gifted researcher. He's a very gifted researcher. Um, I wish I knew. Do have we got any idea what Gav Rymel's day job is? Well, he I know he makes uh, 3D models for uh, London Concrete. The, those little. Uh, uh, series of Doctor Who figures, figurines. Like I think he's done many of the Daleks. I think he's done the Quarks. Oh, okay, and, interesting. All right, yeah. And but he he's a three D modeler, yeah. I believe. Well, he's certainly he's the Andrew Pixley of the three dimensional realm. If Andrew Pixley is like the king of the two dimensional page, um, Gav Rymel is 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 king of, of three dimensions. Indeed. That's what I would call him if I ever met him, which I, which I might do. You never know. Well, he was going to be at Gallifrey last time, but uh, he was. sadly had to cancel. So maybe maybe this time around. If he's there, I will shake him warmly by the hand and call him the I'll call him the three-dimensional Andrew Pixley, <laughs> which is my new name for him. Excellent. 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 Um, so there you go. Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD. Watch it for Bernard Cribbins. Yep, watch it for Bernard Cribbins. You will not be disappointed. It's literally less than an hour and a half of your time. Do you think Cribbins filmed a cameo at all for the coming 60th anniversary? Well, spoiler alert, I've seen some some set shots, so yes, he did. Ah. <laughs> so we'll have one more outing with, one more with, outing with Bernard with, Cribbins. With, with, with Mott. Um, I, I doubt they would have had him on set just for, you know, just for laughs. So um, no. thankfully, I mean, again, I mean, think about Cribbins, you know, he just loved performing never retired if Doctor Who was his last performance. Beautiful. I think he would have been very happy with that. Yep. So, yeah. Wonderful. All right. We'll leave it on that note. And uh, thank you for listening to episode 211 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been, I guess, experiencing Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD for the first time in the company of Ben. And I've been freaked out by Mr. Ben and the Wombles <laughs> voices appearing on screen out of human mouths. Eerie. Eerie. It's like, a, it's an audio uncanny valley. I was just about to say uncanny valley, but for audio people, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what that is. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. until next time, talk to you. Thank you. Goodbye. The dolly old moon's gonna shine tonight. Whichever way you look at it, I'm all right. Waiting for the bird on the second floor. I'm telling all the birds that I used to date. It's been a giggle, but please don't wait Since I saw the bird on the second floor There's something she has got The other birds have not I can't explain just what I only know she's got me So that whenever I'm ringing her front doorbell Something inside me starts to ring as well So when I'm not there Giving that bell what for I'll be nipping up the stairs that lead me to the bird on the second floor Oh, oh these stairs
Where they get a lift in here? Still no mind. Be worth it, wouldn't it? Thursday, steak and kidney pie. Whoa, lovely. Oh, there's something she has got that all the other little birds have not. I can't explain just what. I only know she's got me, whoa Whenever I'm ringing her front doorbell Something inside starts to go like Well, when I'm not there Giving that bell, what for? I'm gonna be nipping up the stairs that lead me to the bird on the second she needs me More than she reckon Lead me to the bird on the second floor What do you mean she's not in? You dirty rotten... Hey, don't close the door!